and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Before we start, I want to thank my latest Patreon subscriber, Foster, for his support as well as all my other Patreon subscribers. If you would like to support the podcast financially and gain access to exclusive companion mini-episodes, articles, group Zoom meetings or two brand new series of interviews, head over to patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium where you will find six different levels of subscription. The cheapest being the price of a glass of wine once a month. Alternatively, go to justgiving.com, search for a mic on the podium and make a one-off donation there. Details are in the show notes below. Today I conduct a conversation with a young French conductor who, in her short career, has already founded her own orchestra, embarked on a very successful guest conducting career all across the globe, and she is the current Tacky Concordia Allsop Conducting Fellow. It's a great pleasure to welcome Chloe Van Sertestead. Chloe, lovely to speak to you and see you via Zoom today. How are you? So nice to be with you, Mike, and I'm really well, really well, thanks. Good. Um, judging by your accent, and I know because I've done my homework as always, uh, you're from France. So whereabouts in France did you grow up and at what stage did music come into your life? Musical family or did it come out of the blue like mine did? Well, so I'm from Paris um, and my family is not musical. And so, but, you know, my parents um, really valued culture even though they were not at all part of this world. And growing up in Paris, I think it's quite a gift to, uh, you know, you open your door and you have cinemas, you have concert halls, museums, everything there. So we really took advantage of this when I was growing up. And also I was growing up really in the center of Paris. So everything was so close. Mm. Um, My first musical kind of maybe memory, I would say was from the age of, five I guess that's where we we get our memory my my mom my mom would argue no this was age three or something where <laughs> I went I went we, we went to a concert and I really clearly remember hearing some well seeing the violins play yeah it was a great experience and I remember going back home and just miming the violins mm-hmm. and uh, but then my parents were really busy with their work my dad traveled a lot but I really apparently was insisting on doing music. So from the age of five, uh, from five to eight, actually, I went to a little kind of Wednesday afternoon, one hour of musical workshop with Jean-Michel. Jean-Michel was my teacher and I remember, remember him. Uh, and I created such a, a strong thing with music. Apparently I was good in, in, in rhythm. And he said, why don't you, you know, put Chloe in the music school? Um, and my mom, of course, argued saying well we'd love to of course but we are we need to make sure that our diaries really match uh, i i found great friends actually over there and this wednesday afternoon was the bright of my week let's say yeah. brightness of my week um we yeah i carried on going to the music, music school so music conservatoire in each arrondissement in paris you have a, a music school so culture is quite developed there um and the downside or maybe the upside, let's see how we see, but the downside of music, music school is that um, you have to start with theory without touching any instrument. So I think that's also why, and we can talk about it later as well, but for me, French, uh, French musicians are very, 
very good in solfege, very good mm. in ear training. This is really something we do from age seven or, you know, eight. Um, so this was a bit difficult to, of course, do all the theory, everything, and then you have to wait like at least a year to touch your instruments. So it's also, I think, give you a little bit of like, are you strong enough to carry on? Do you yes. actually have the will? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, it's funny, isn't it? I, I, I would say that my experience was almost the exact opposite. That, you know, I was given a violin to play when I was nine and it was all about playing. And I, I only encountered theory when I had to take my first exam, my grade one, as it is over here, it was from grade one to grade eight. And you have to take oral tests and you have to take, well, basically I did oral tests until grade five. I didn't do any theory at all until I had to pass my grade five theory to carry on doing the rest of the exams which I look back on and think, oh my God, I wished I'd had your experience. But then when I was nine, I'm not sure I could have just sat there and done a year of theory. I'm, in fact, I know I couldn't. There's no way I could have done that. So yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you can look back on these things and think, thank God I did do that, or thank God I didn't do that. I mean, it's, it's tricky. Yeah, it trained it trained a lot of my ear. Now, actually, we have to uh, to to sing in the in the choir before touching the instrument. So it was not only you know theory. Otherwise, it would be a little bit uh, difficult for the for the kids of eight. I mean, you know, when you're eight, you just want to carry to, to, just to play <laughs> to, mm. to make some noise. Um, so my my parents arranged their you know their their diaries, and so here I studied the violin. Um, I was absolutely not forced. This was really my own, you know, wish. Uh, and I carried on, carried on, carried on uh, until until much later, the age of uh, 20, where I swapped to viola. Uh, we can ah, right, okay. discuss that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in, the first thing, of course, if you're playing the violin um, in Paris, I am assuming that therefore Paris has some sort of youth orchestra. Uh, I don't know. Um, when were you first playing in orchestras? And uh, at any stage, even at this point, you know, when you're you're beginning and you're learning and you're encountering playing with other people for the first time, did you? When did you encounter conductors? And did it mean anything to you? Yeah. So I started when in the same conservatoire. So it was in the Fifa arrondissement in Paris. Gabriel Fauré, uh, and we 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 go from maybe third year or fourth year you have to go to the ensemble um, and I could really clearly see that none no, no one wanted to be there mm. I wanted to be there I loved it absolutely yeah. loved it and at the start I had a, a male conductor so anyway I was quite interested anyways since the start very fascinated always listening and actually something quite funny when I was at nursery my uh, I have a book from nursery and it's always written Chloe observed. Oh. Chloe observed today. Before, <laughs> before I go somewhere or I make friends, I observe and make sure that I'm in good territory and then up I go. And once I go, I go, really. Yeah. Um, so I was at the back of the second violin, listening, observing, and then year by year, you know, you go on the front of the, you have more responsibility. And then eventually, I went to the next level orchestra and eventually I become the, the leader because mm. I really, really, really wanted to. I was just so, so, so interested. And I had the scores on the floor and uh, my conductor in this level orchestra was a female. Mm. So I never had this kind of doubt. I never had this barrier, yeah. never. Yeah. Um, and one day 
at the end of the year, around May, she said, okay, well, next week is our last uh, rehearsal. And you know that this term, we don't have a concert. That's sad, but we cannot because uh, I can't remember why. But. And then, ding, I thought, oh, no concert, no rehearsal. There is a month of orchestra. And I stood up. I was a bit shy at the start, at the, at the, at the time, but I stood up. And I asked Leticia, this, this conductor, um, do, you, do you think um, I can actually take some rehearsals and just carry on with my own kind of little ensemble and just you know do some bar or Mozart? Or... And she said, yeah, that's quite a good idea because she knew I wanted to do some conducting. That's a good idea. Um, and I said, look, I want to manipulate sound. That's all what I want to do. I want to try you know, stuff. Um, and say, yeah, okay, I, I'll come and coach you. Perfect. So I basically announced that at the end of the rehearsal, who would like to, to come and carry on a little bit the, the orchestra? We did some Elgar 7 8 strings and some, um, I think, Mozart concerto, piano concerto. Uh, and we just organized after two or three rehearsals a little concert for our, our parents. And that's how I kind of began without any skills in one, two, three, four. But of course, I learned so much by yeah. by watching her. Absolutely. And at the time, she was the only conductor uh, I had. So I didn't have any uh, other kind of point of view no. of conductor. Mm. I mean, I, I, you, you, you made me remember that actually probably the first time I ever encountered a conductor, it was a female conductor, the senior strings orchestra of the Meadow Music Centre, for those listeners who know me, right back in about 1982, and it would have been uh, Angela and Helen Payne, um, and they were probably the first people who ever conducted me. So I don't think I ever really thought that, you know, that there should be a barrier there, or there should be, you know, that, that it was strange for females to conduct orchestras, you know, they were the first people I was ever conducted by. But then, of course, going on from there, I didn't encounter another one until I got to the conservatoire. Um, uh, and it would have been either Sean Edwards or Odalina de la Martinez, you know, who were, you know, in, in the profession and working. Um, good that, you know, you, you started off your own little ensemble and, and did that sort of thing early on. Um, I read that you're, you studied um, uh, in London at the Royal Academy of Music. How did that come about? How, what made you decide to go and study in the UK rather than stay uh, and try and study in Paris? So it's funny, at the moment I'm reading the book by uh, Renaud Capuçon. He just wrote it this year. Mm. And he's talking about exactly, he's touching the, the French mentality. It's so different. It's very much about solo, soloist. Mm. If you are, if you want to embrace a, a, a career in orchestra, uh, you, you you're seen as a, are you okay? Are you not uh, mad? <laughs> so so um, and he he thought I want to enrich myself and I want to touch chamber music. I want to be you know he was the leader of the Gus uh, of etc. Uh, and he played with amazing conductors and and he's also a soloist. I mean mm. he's now really a big soloist and. Um, so he's touching really something that in France we have this this um, this, this judgmental uh, negative, let's say, uh, yeah. vision. Yeah. And so I just didn't want to embrace this. And my parents said, "Look, you know, um, we trust you." They they lived in the U.S. for quite a while before I was born, so they have this kind of open mind and. They were a little bit, of course, worried about, but are you going to be able to survive in London? It's so expensive. And 
uh, we can help you, of course, but you know, it's difficult. And, um, and I said, trust me, honestly, I know what I'm doing. And, uh, and I'm someone if when I do something, I do it to the end. Um, yeah. And I knew it was there. I mean, I've never said to myself, oh, do I want to be a musician? Or do you want to be a teacher, like a literature teacher or a lawyer? No, I've never questioned myself, which is now talking to some of my friends, um, they questioned themselves and they had to think twice. And for me, it was just natural. So I was I was happy about, about London. So after I finished my violin studies, I had my feeling. I did a music course, uh, and my teacher, with a, my chamber music teacher, was a viola player, and he sensed something that violin it was fine, but I just felt the harmony, the the lower lines, the meat in the sandwich kind of yes, uh, was missing inside me. So he said, you know, Chloe with the technical ability you have, I prepare you to Paris Conservatoire in two months and you go, you audition and you get in. I said, okay, good, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, and um, without, without, but that's very important to say, without um, losing the line that I wanted to be a conductor since the age of 13, it yeah. kind of was there. I was so fascinated by this job, thinking that's so cool just to, to guide the orchestra, to build something, to develop the sound, etc. Um, so I always took the instrument, violin and viola, as a, as a tool to, mm. to, to go step by step. And when I am on the podium, I am 100% fine with what's happening in the street because I actually feel, felt it myself. Um, so London arrived after two years in Paris Conservatoire. When I say Paris Conservatoire, I didn't go to the CNSM. I went to the regional conservatoire because I never really wanted to go to the conservatoire because of this negativity yes, yeah. uh, kind of thing. And England and Germany, it was maybe either one or the other. But uh, at the time, my boyfriend was in, in London. So, you know, mm. um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I followed him um, and... And, and yeah, I just, I knew that orchestral um, studies were much more developed in the, in the UK. Yeah. So here I go, I enrolled for four years at the Wakandian Music, studying with Yoko Inoue. And of course, I was all the time playing for the, for the conductors in the conducting yeah. class. Uh, at the time, it was, who was teaching there before Sean, um, Colin Matters. Colin Matters, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, I've met so many young conductors and uh, Valentina Pelleggi, and I don't know if uh, you have heard about her, but she was also one of Marina Alsop's um, Taki Fellow. And um, yeah, so, so many Jessica Cotis. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you, you mentioned in a sentence there that for you, the violin and the viola was your way into orchestras and you knew it. I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I knew from the age of 14 that I wanted to be an orchestral violinist. I wasn't interested in being a soloist, wasn't interested in being a quartet player. I knew I wanted to play professionally in an orchestra as a violinist. I've subsequently realised that actually, like you, it could have been almost any instrument. If I was good enough, all I was in actually interested in was orchestras, not necessarily the violin. You know, I wasn't one of these who had to play all of the Bach sonatas and partitas or all of the Brahms sonatas or all of the Beethoven sonatas. I wasn't interested in learning Paganini or Wienowski or any of that stuff. Uh, I just wanted to play in orchestras. Uh, the second violin part of a Mahler symphony interested me far more than any Wienowski or Paganini or showpiece. Um, it's interesting that you knew that from the start, whereas 
I discovered it since I've stopped, you know, that, yeah, that was my way into orchestras and orchestras was the big thing for me. And I think you made the best decision ever to, to come to London, or it could have been Germany, as you said, um, because I think you, you get that all round perspective of what you can be as a musician. It's not all about just you being you, the soloist. Yeah, well done you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I just... When, you know, when, when I said that I knew it, uh, I, I didn't say to my parents, I want to become a conductor at the end yeah. of 10, but it was there, it's really flourished and I could really, uh, yeah, I could just feel it. And I was so excited every Wednesday afternoon, it was the two hour session, orchestra session. I was always like, I am so excited to, yeah. to play yeah. um, and to make music with each other. and. Uh, and also, you know, when Leticia, the conductor, was uh, stopping the orchestra to rehearse the wind, I would just like, okay, score, where is my score? Mm. I want to know what's happening. Um, and yeah, and also, you know, I have played with the uh, European Union Youth Orchestra and uh, in Pacific Music Festival. And when, when, and also at the Academy of Music, of course, with so many uh, great conductors, Beachcroft, uh, Jack Bernstein, actually, Mark Elder, etc. And I, I, more and more, I could, I could see what gestures or what you should be doing or not sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I've learned to be very honest. Uh, I've learned a lot more in the orchestra. And then when I enrolled uh, as, a, as a conducting student, as a master conducting student, I had a lot of maybe not rehearsal technique, but a lot of uh, experience behind me as a, as a player in the orchestra. But even just the, the psychology of how, you know, how you talk to an orchestra. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I'm sure that people who don't have a lot of experience or maybe some pianists, not all of them, of course, but might have more, less, less ease maybe to express yourself, to know that, you know, you need to talk to the last player and yeah. to really actually look at the last player, otherwise you'll lose everyone or whatever. Yeah, that orchestral grounding is so, I think it's so important. Just being in rehearsals and, and you discover yourself from, as you say, Letitia at the beginning, all the way through until, you know, you go out and become a conductor yourself. Everybody you play for, you form an opinion as to, I quite like the way that they said that and that's made me play better or oh, you've just said that and that's made me really angry or oh, you've just wasted my time or oh my god you just fixed that in in 30 seconds how did you do that and all yeah. of these things go into your into your experiences and into your brain uh, and when you decide to you know squash them all together and make it in make yourself a conductor or want to be a conductor you know they all stay in there um so yeah i don't know how you can ever conduct an orchestra if you've never been in an orchestra rehearsal yeah exactly I'm interested at the academy. You said you were playing for the orchestra, which the conducting students were was working with under Colin Metters. At the academy, did you switch and do some conducting there, or did the switch come when you were left the academy, went to the Royal Northern College, and then studied with with Clark and Mark, as I like to call them, Clark Rondell and Mark Heron? Did the switch come then, or did you have some experiences with Colin and, and the and conducting at the academy? So I've never conducted uh, at the academy, but you can take a second study. And of course, I took conducting yes. and I knew that 
this, uh, this second study was very popular. So I was absolutely on board to go and just like yeah. to, 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 to put my name first. It, it was a must. Um, so I, I studied a bit. I never studied at all with, uh, with Colin, but when I was toward the end of my study, so I went there 2010, 2014, I enrolled with, in master classes with uh, Pavo Yarvi, Yama Panula. Uh, I've done one class with Mark and Clark, and that's mm. where they saw me there. I did an audition actually to the Royal Northern College of Music. They asked me to come. Yeah, yeah. They said, do you, you know, we know that you are doing master classes. You know, we know that you might also need some more technical stuff. Would you like to, you know, we have a spare place. Mm. You don't have to audition. Do you want to come? I was like, wow, that's really great because yeah. the audition process is so difficult as well. Mm. And I thought, yeah, I need, I need a structure. I need to go beyond my small technical things. It's not, you know, I learned so much with, uh, with uh, Yorma Panula and I learned a lot of school with uh, Yavi Paro, but, uh, but of course I needed to, 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 to switch. And for me, it was difficult to say, okay, when am I going to swap, to switch totally to conducting? Am mm. I, when, because I, I was in the middle, I had a very good string quartet we played at the big ball and stuff you know so it was going well and then really gradually at the first year in uh, 2015 I started uh, conducting masters in Manchester I said to my quartet look I mean for sure I can come back twice a week or something but I have so much schools to learn and <laughs> I really want to be a good student and also I really want to become a, a, a you know a good conductor and I really have to focus on, on that so so we separated with my quartet. Um, uh, it was kind of like, okay, I swapped totally. But for me, when I still study some schools now, I mean, when I study some school, I still come back on my viola violin to try some stuff, to connect a little bit. Um, yeah. It's very important. So I think the, yeah, the swap, the, I've never conducted the academy, but for sure attending Colin Matters class, classes all the time. It was a string quintet all the time. I was thinking, oh my God, like the gesture she did or he did was not so appropriate, but why? And, and then, wow, this gesture was amazing. And it had such an effect on my bow. Okay, and I was just really putting that there. Mm. Or as you said, when Mark Elder or, or um, Jack Van Steen, et cetera, they, they came, I was actually taking notes uh, yeah. on my score. I actually had my score in rehearsal. And all my friends at this time knew I wanted to be a conductor. So there was not like, oh, wow, she just had a score <laughs> like in rehearsal. What a little... Uh... <laughs> what a swat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, tell me in Manchester, um, I mean, I can't remember because it's so many episodes ago, dear listeners of the podcast, but can you tell us what Clark and Mark gave you technically? What Did they have drills, exercises? Were they... I mean, as a golfing term, ham and, ham and egging it, which is one does, you know, one partner does one thing and the other, the other partner does the other. Was one much hotter on score study and learning and the other dealing with technique? How did they approach it? It's difficult to say. I mean, um, I think Mark was much more on some technical bits, let's say. And, and Clark was more about the general stuff. But right. both of them, yes, they had uh, treatments. We call mm. them uh, treatments. Uh, so there is the wall treatment, for instance, because uh, we all are very excited at Jan's conductor and we have tendency to lean. 
to move all the time, you know, the head doing everything. So the information is way too much for everyone. So therefore, mm. up I did at least a big month or two months at the wall. So you have all the back of your head, uh, everything on the wall, and only you can uh, do everything with your arm. This yeah. was so good, very efficient. I hated it at the start, and I was just like almost crying in my bedroom trying to try to do it. But because the music was everywhere, and therefore mm. canalize. And now I thank them so much. Recently, I was actually in Manchester to to conduct an orchestra, and uh, they, I I met the cl the class there, and I I'm thanking them so much about the wool treatment. So mm. they have yet yeah, some kind of exercises. Uh, what the main Im important well, interesting thing about the course, on the contrary of the academy, is that you uh, manipulate sounds all the time. You're always, I mean, COVID, except, you know, uh, but when I was there, you always are in a rehearsal somewhere, either assisting or uh, working with the opera or in a, in a chamber ensemble, or actually one of the main and important thing was to uh, assist at the BBC Philharmonic, Liverpool, and when Sir Michael Duff, who is really much associated with the ONCM, he yes. gave us classes and he also asked some of us to assist when Jonathan Hayward couldn't uh, do one. And Jonathan was asking me often to actually, can you cover me on this? Mm. So it was brilliant. I just loved it. Um, yeah. This has been touched on many times in the past is this, it's just the right age for you to sit in rehearsals you know, the names you've just mentioned, but others I've read on your biography, you know, sitting in rehearsals of Vladimir Yurovsky, Francois Xavier Roth, Sir Mark Elder, John Storgods, Vasily Petrenko, all of these people who regularly work in the northwest of England, that Manchester, Liverpool area where you have four great orchestras there and all of the time there's somebody for you to assist, to watch, to have lessons from, when I've been on the adjudication panel for the CBSO assistant conductor's job, we've had 200 or more applicants. And one of the jobs that you have as uh, when you're on the panel is to sit and look at the videos that they send. And I always watch the videos first. And I, I think I got really rather good at spotting somebody who'd gone through the RNCM with Mark and Clark because they were very sorted technically. You, uh, and as you said, they're very sorted posture-wise, standing very straight. And I think I could spot them very well, very, very immediately and think, ah, there's another RNC one. Then I'd open up the CV and go, yes, I was right. Oh, I see. And then, you know, they go on to a, a long list and then on whatever. Um, so I, you know, I think it's a really good class, but it's, it's the, because it's where it is as well. Don't you agree? You've got the Liverpool Phil just 30 miles down the road. BBC Phil in Salford, the Halle, Manchester Camerata. Yeah, it's such a rich place to... Yeah, well, and you know what I loved about this class is that they they left our personality because mm. uh, some teachers can totally transform someone physically, and there is a conservatoire that I know I'm not going to mention it, but uh, <laughs> but you see, yeah, you see the students they're all the same, and mm. Mm. that's such a shame because you know the way that I am, I bring something different than one of my colleagues, and he brings something or she brings something. Just different and uh, yeah, I think they don't try, they never said, you know, it has to be done like that. Um, it can be done done like this, but perhaps I, I would just prefer, you know, to be in one instead of three or something. Yes. Yeah. But Mark, uh, Mark uh, Heron would al always say, uh, you know, 
try just try try with the with the orchestra if it's a student orchestra of yeah. course and then of course there the, is the discussion about you know you have to sort yourself out while you're a student because once you're out you are out <laughs> and you're in danger i mean you know um and also the the first meeting i had with them with clark and mac i said okay i want two things i want at least to have invited some management at the end of my uh, studies not too soon but i need to be so honest and i was so honest with the managers i i had uh, i mean not uh, i met sorry um yeah. to say look i'm only in my second year but i'm really eager to 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 have a management and also i said to them i would like to uh, audition for an international competition uh, so this happened with besançon Uh, yeah. at the end of my second year. Well, let's leap ahead a bit and talk about competitions. Um, because as you said, you, you just now, you apply for Besançon, but you also in 2019 did the Deutsche Dirigenten Prize, which in English is the German Conducting Prize, <laughs> um, and got to the final there. I mean, actually today, as part of my homework, I had a look to see what was required, and that's a really tough competition. Yeah. Uh, really tough. What, uh, I mean, you have choices there. But uh, let's talk globally about competitions. Having, uh, to my knowledge now, you've applied for two, maybe you've applied for more. What are you, what's your views on competitions? What are your views on the structure of them? Did you enjoy them? Uh, and I enjoy, I put in inverted commas, because you know we can enjoy something by being under pressure and having a lot to learn, uh, or you can just enjoy them because of the sheer hell of it. Uh, how were competitions for you? Well, for me, it's never been like a, a must. It, we didn't yeah. have to do competition. So I think that's a main point. And um, I've done three, actually. I have done uh, Besançon. And I think I was a bit I was a bit young in my head saying, okay, Chloe, I'm going to win. And this was <laughs> so not the, the attitude because when I won though the, the third prize last year of the Cologne uh, competition, uh, I was so relaxed. And I, I think the, 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 the more relaxed I am, the more you know, myself I am, and therefore the more communicative I can be or whatever. Mm. Uh, but they're all, and the second one, the, it was the London Symphony, of course, uh, competition. Oh, the, so. the Donatella Flick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, all of them were so different. Um, Besançon was so well organized, you know, it kind of puts your stress level much lower than if it's not organized. Yeah, it was five or six rounds. I mean, it was yeah. totally really mad, actually. But on all the round was something different. And I was stopped at the opera round just because I was not very experienced in opera. And yeah. also, they put us in the pit with the orchestra and the singers on stage, which just never happened before. Yeah. So this was in Besançon. And in Cologne, that I, I, I just won last year, I mean, third prize I didn't win. Um, the, the the first round was actually working only with the singers, with the piano. So real real life actually situation. Yes. Working yeah, on yeah, the text, yeah. working on the colors, etc. Then second round was a little bit weird, but anyway, it was in two parts with um, carrying on the work you have done, but this time putting it with the orchestra. So it's like an mm -hmm. organic uh, growth, really. And then symphonic, Beethoven third uh, symphony which I just love and yeah. I have a very specific uh, sound in my mind about Beethoven and, and it, it just uh, I think made it uh, go to the second round just because I was a little bit nervous with the with the opera um, beat but actually 
it was so, so, so much fun to, to work with, with the singers. I think if we have the right mentality in a competition, it's enjoyable. Yeah, it's amazing that over the, the now, you know, this weekend, episode 39 came out. Well, we're, I'm talking to Chloe two days before Christmas 2020. You know, so in, even in those 39 episodes, but then there is another 30 in the can I haven't edited yet. Things I've learned, for instance, you know, the amount of people who, who enter the competition thinking I have absolutely no chance of winning this whatsoever, who went on to win it is quite amazing through that, you know, through all of those episodes. I could list them, you know, people who, you know, Andrew Litton was in, even in the first full episode, he said, you know, I arrived in London, I, did, I was expecting a week of sightseeing and then I'd fly home again and he won the damn thing. So I think the, that's really important. I think the structure of these competitions, you know, by speaking to past winners and how they went through it is really important for you to get your head around before you enter them. We're going to get on to guest conducting and an amazing list of people you've been invited to conduct who you already have and I see that you should have probably conducted by now if it hadn't been for COVID. But um, do you think you would carry on entering competitions in the future or do you think right I've done three now I know that what's entailed and maybe I don't want to do any more? Yeah, I'm not doing any more. <laughs> you know, I mean, because <laughs> I, I didn't start. I didn't start really conducting until I was 35. So, and as you'll know, that's the cutoff age for any competition. Virtually it's all true. of them cut off at 35. So I could never. I could never ever apply. So I'm. I'm never going to know. I'm now the <laughs> grand age. Grand age of 50. Uh, I think I'd love to have had to go once to see what they were like. But you. You seem very certain that that no more competitions for you. I think the question we need to ask is like, why do you? do we need to apply for a competition? It's not to say, oh, I'm doing I've done a competition. I mean, uh, for me, it's more kind of two, well, three things, learning repertoire, opening to different orchestras uh, and, and uh, having a manager. So yes. by the time I won the third prize of the Dirigent Preis uh, in, in Germany, I had uh, my manager at Intermusica and I signed with them and uh, it just it was basically we talked about it like Chloe yeah you, you should do it to open to Germany and uh, you know and uh, yeah it's, it's great and I was very grateful actually I didn't well I, I, I'm not sure I can say this but I didn't win because when you're winning and perhaps you know talking to Jonathan Hayward or Ben Glasberg winning a competition has so much impact straight away on your it's suddenly wow just a, a bubble of fire <laughs> and for me my bubble of fire i'm very happy that it grows organically uh, and the orchestras are, are watching and uh, i'm really happy that i'm really busy anyway so mm. i think winning uh, you have to be so secure technically uh, also because you're just really in the in the middle of the of the yeah, lion cage with everyone so yeah you have to be able to um to be basically the best um mm -hmm. and i'm yeah i'm very happy to to have my third prize it's perfect <laughs> I, I i like your a bubble of fire and i think a slow burning slowly growing bubble is possibly the way forwards um, you don't want to burn out you know to carry no. on with burning Um, before we leave sort of studies and mentorship and uh, and go out into the big wide world and talk about your guesting, but also about Arch Symphonia, 
I'm intrigued, and I think I'd love our listeners to know about the Tacky Concordia Fellowship. What I've read is that you were chosen by Marin Alsop for that. Um, maybe you could explain what the Tacky Concordia Fellowship is, what it entails, um, how how were you chosen? You know, what sort of things happen? Are, are you mentored by Marin a lot? You know, just tell us all about yeah. Tacky Concordia because <laughs> I know for a fact this has not come up on any previous podcast. Yeah. You're the first okay. person I've talked to about this. Yeah. So it all comes back to uh, 2002 when Marin founded this Tacky Concordia to support uh, female young female uh, conductors emerging. And she always said, you know, I'm, I was the one, the, 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 the first female to start conducting in the, in the world. No one really uh, before me was, uh, was in the world of, of conducting in the, in the female scene. Uh, she was uh, Bernstein's uh, student. Yes. And so she, yeah, and Bernstein never uh, thought she could not do it. And actually, uh, she, Marin told me that uh, in one class um, she was the, of course, the only female. And Bernstein said, "Well, there will be only one student who will be able to um, to do the concert with me, uh, and I'm going to choose Marin. Marin, can you come with me?" And so for me, um, it's uh, well, first it's, it's great to to actually have a kind of a direct link to Bernstein yes. through her. She uh, created her um, Taki Concordia Orchestra. Way, way before 2002. So, but Mr. Taki is a Japanese, well, was a, I think he's dead now, but was a Japanese um, uh, guy who sponsored her to say, look, okay. you, you have the talent. Mr. Bernstein said that, uh, you know, you have the talent. Uh, why don't you, yeah, put this orchestra together? I'm sponsoring, I'm just giving you some money. Yeah. Brilliant. So she started to, to, to do this orchestra. And then she thought, well, I mean, this needs to have a, a legacy. I I need to 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 mentor the the young generation, or I need at least to tell my story or something like this. Uh, so in two thousand and two, she auditioned, and I'm not so sure what the conditions were, but nowadays, my God, she she told me like she had so 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 many applications. So my basically, you have to apply by sending yeah. a, a video. Uh, I think it's quite precise. You need uh, to send three different periods. Uh, you need uh, to also do a little interview of yourself, like just a selfie a video. You send that to Marin or to the Taki Concordia team. Maybe outside, out of 400 or 300 applicants, she needs to go to the second round. So that we we don't know. Once you apply, you, you hope for the best and that's it. So then Concordia, uh, Taki Concordia team uh, said to the semi-finalists, I, I had no idea there were rounds. Um, uh, well, congratulations, you're uh, instead of, uh, yeah, four, 400 or 300, we go to eight, eight, yeah, yeah. totally mad. So eight, great, I'm in the eighth final. And then I was in the four finalists. I had a little chat with uh, with Marine and uh, and then here we go. She chat, chatted again to me and she said, look, you're the next fellow. And I was absolutely delighted because it's, it means I have some money, $15,000. Yeah. And then she said, there is absolutely no obligation. So you do wow. what you want. Wow. You do what you want. You use her the way you want. Yeah. So uh, COVID was March, last March 2020. I started in September 2019. And luckily, uh, she was in London. So I straight away started my fellowship with her in London with the London Philharmonic, doing a recording with her. 
And, uh, you know, it was just before actually the, uh, the Dirigent and Price uh, competition. Nice. And I said, look, can, can, can we go through, through, through a, a few things? Can I ask you some advice? Yeah, 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 let's get a Coca-Cola. She's only drinking Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, uh, let's get a, a drink. Um, so here, uh, you know, we went through the score. Here, I suggest uh, you do this because the holes will be late. No, no, no. So we go through things like this. And um, during the whole COVID, every week I was releasing a an interview with her. So it was it was my little podcast series called A Moment yeah. with Marin. <laughs> and we were chatting about so many things, and I've I've learned a lot about her. You know, her life with uh, well, her life part of life with Bernstein, different orchestra sound, uh, Sao Paulo, you know, Baltimore and uh, Vienna. And, um, but yeah, it's, um, I'd, I'd like to see her physically doing some physical stuff, yeah. even though she, she's been great because actually uh, she's really treating me a little bit like Mark and Clark. She's really treating me for who I am and not yes. reproducing herself into me. Mm. Uh, she's much uh, shorter than me. I am tall, I'm 180. So and I'm thin, she is short and a little bit uh, thicker than I am, let's say it. <laughs> and um, therefore the, 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 the sound will not be the same. And yeah, yeah. so, so it, it is interesting too, but I'm trying to, 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 yeah, to find a way to how to, I can use her for my last uh, year, well, for my last year and a half, actually. I think at this stage of any conductor's career to have I mean, this is almost almost like a, an extra assistant conductor's job that you have a mentor at this point of your career. You know, you're you're starting out on on guest conducting. You know, you'll be looking at, uh, uh, you know, forming relationships with orchestras, good relationships that maybe in the future could end up being principal guest or or a job as the boss. You know, I think to have that that ability to just speak to somebody of her stature and her knowledge and her wisdom is a really important thing. Yeah, it, it gave me, I think, uh, some 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 weight as well to to mm. who I am and also some orchestras who might want to invite me. Oh, she's also Marinda as a fellow. Maybe it means something. I mean, mm. it can yeah. add some weight. I don't know. So, you know, guest conducting, as, you, as you've just said, you, you're with the Taki Concordia Fellowship and with Marin, you're, you're getting to see orchestras uh, whilst assisting and watching her rehearsals, but you're also forming your own relationships already. Um, you know, you've been to RPO, BBC Scottish, and been reinvited straight back. Looking at the where you've been and where you should have been because of COVID, uh, and where where you are going to be. You know, you've got debuts coming up across the UK, across the US, France, Germany. I'm sure there are places further afield. How have those been for you? I mean, obviously that you're right at the very start of a career. Uh, and so virtually every time you go and stand in front of an orchestra at the moment, it's the first time. You know, you're not standing, unless it's in front of your own orchestra, which I'll come to soon, you're standing in front of every orchestra for the first time at this stage of your career. How have you found it? Uh, do you have any personal strategies or thought processes that, or maybe ones that have been given to you by Marin, of, of ways of thinking about every time, Monday morning, or standing in front of another new orchestra? Tell us what it's what it's like as somebody who's who's really is in that position. Yeah, I mean, for sure, each time you 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 don't know an orchestra, it's kind of a sort of an audition in a way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it can be scary sometimes, and also it depends on the countries. Uh, even though I'm French, my French is is not good. <laughs> <laughs> and 
It's true. Like uh, a few days ago, Nick Cullen, he, he called me because uh, obviously I'm French and he was conducting Orchestre National de France. And, um, and he said, look, can, can, you, can you tell me the difference between a few things? And I was like, oh my God, pressure is on me because I am, honestly, sometimes I go in, in front of a French orchestra and, and I have to say things in English and I have to <laughs> apologize, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but in I, a way, I, I think plenty of orchestras have, have listened to me speaking my speaking English and thinking, "What language is he talking?" <laughs> <laughs> so um, my 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 mind is never panicked at all. It's always a joy to be in front of an orchestra. I love it, and even even though even even uh, the ones that uh, are massive names, you know, and actually. In uh, in uh, start of February, I'm going to CBSO. So ah. it's uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's always a. Uh, I, I I don't really have any any fear because I think um, or any special preparation mentally or something. The only thing I, I need to to know is a little bit of the layout sometimes of the piece and and of course I decide, but sometimes. Uh, mm. It's like this, and uh, for instance, at the BBC uh, Scottish recently, they said, "Sorry, we, we have to stay like this because the cameras are fixed." And and it was very difficult for me to have this sound world, but it worked really perfect, really well. Um, it, yeah, in terms of mental preparation, I I like to having my own kind of uh, vision of mm. where are the strings sat, etc. Um, and stay myself. I, I think staying humble and staying yourself and also knowing that uh, the the members of the orchestra are hopefully happy to be playing the repertoire I'm going to conduct uh, helps I think and also I've been there I've been in the orchestra so I know the psychology of it, um, it yeah it's uh, it's always a always a pleasure actually mm. well I mean you've come on the See, struggling with English. <laughs> I might even leave that bit in. <laughs> You've basically said the line that I think is the most important line that any conductor at any stage of their career needs to think, which is be yourself. Um, if you try and be anything other than yourself, there will be anywhere between 50 and 100 people, well, not now but because of COVID, but you know, 50 and 80 people on the platform who are going to look at you and think, she's not being herself or he's not exactly. being himself. And it, I think it's really important. And it's imp and, and to go one step further than that is to also to know, and, you know, Barbara Hannigan said it, you know, she was worried that she'd been somewhere and it just didn't work. And then she spoke to people like Yarovsky, like Simon Rattle, and they laughed and said, yeah, well, we've all been there, Barbara. We've all had a week where it didn't work. Just accept it and move on and accept that you were being yourself and that chemistry isn't there, that we all exactly. have a bad week now and again. But the That's point so is... hard, that, that. Yeah, of course it is, yeah. It's, it's, it's the hardest thing of all. I had one not so long before lockdown came and, you, and I, you know, every second you think, oh, my God, what have I done wrong? What have I said wrong? In the end, often you've done nothing wrong. It just isn't it isn't you and them, it's not going to work. It's the chemistry thing and that, yeah. and that, you know, move on. There are plenty of other people that will. And looking at the people you've been invited to go and conduct and were, have been re-invited by, you know, of course it's working, but occasionally it happens. Um, and I think the most important thing that you do is carry on being yourself. I, you know, that line is so important. Yeah, I think we are something we are not now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, we are not prepared in, uh, in, in colleges to hear this, actually. Because we think, 
okay, we are invited to go to, to conduct in an orchestra and it's going to be brilliant. And well, actually, no, not all the time. And I didn't know, but it's true. We don't really think about the chemistry thing. And it's true that I had a bad, one bad experience with an orchestra and I was in tears. And I said, I, I told, I, I texted Marin saying, look, can we have a little chat? Because I'm actually... I, I don't understand what's happening. And she exactly said what you said, like sometimes it just doesn't work. And right. what can you do? You're not going to, 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 yeah, you have to manage yourself. And yeah. why you don't can't you just turn, like- You can't turn that situation around. Um, yeah. you, know, you can't, there isn't a magic sentence or, a, or an incredibly funny joke that you can tell the orchestra that's going to t get them on your side. It just doesn't exist. So yeah. you better, you know, you. you you do the concerts and actually sometimes the concerts are really exciting even though you know yeah. there's borderline hostility but yeah you just move on and walk away and then yeah. the next week when you walk in with somebody for the first time and there's an instant chemistry there and we've both been there as well yeah. my god you just smile and think oh right now we can make music together you know that, yeah. that's why we do it that's you know but the orchestras as well, I had, I had one orchestra in mind where you actually think, are they bored or don't they like the music? Or And actually, the at the general rehearsal, we had three days. Uh, it was contemporary music and it was a little bit difficult. We had so, so I had so much to coordinate, etc. But the orchestra was so noisy and I thought, a French orchestra, by the way. But <laughs> I, and I thought, uh, and I thought, okay, they don't enjoy it or, but anyway, I had to carry on. I had my mm. concert and stuff. And um, the, the, at the, the end, the, um, the director of the orchestra said, well, uh, you know, you, 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 I really thought that I was not really welcomed or in the orchestra. And then he said, well, I'm hearing everything is going superb. And uh, they love you. I said, oh, well, this is great to know because I have no idea. I cannot really say with a face. And sometimes it can be the situation where it's so nice that someone tells you this because you, you don't know. Um, mm. But in a way, it's something, something we need to remember that uh, maybe some, someone is uh, just in a bad mood because their kids uh, just yeah, had absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. ill or whatever in the morning. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yeah. Twenty twelve, you founded the Arch Symphonia uh, in London. Uh, first of all, why? Why did you want to find, found, find, fond, whatever, uh, your own <laughs> orchestra? Um, and uh, and how does it work? How, do, how many concerts a year do you do? Um, do you have specific projects that you think right? This is ideal for them. How did it come about? So at the very start, Arch, because arching the different uh, four music schools in, uh, in, in, in London, Academy, uh -huh. College, uh -huh. Guildhall and Trinity. Uh, because I, as a viola player, really was so frustrated to only play with the Academy people. And I thought, I mean, come on, there are three other colleges that have a really amazing musicians. So let's do something. Let's do a collaboration. Kind of. So it started like this. And then um, in terms of concerts I put quite a lot and actually I was so happy that a lot of my friends from the conducting class at the uh, academy came and supported and gave me some advice you know it was really nice then we all grew up together we graduated together and it didn't really I didn't want it to to to, to uh, carry on as a student orchestra so mm. it become a freelance orchestra 
but of course it's difficult without money to freelance yeah. <laughs> so um, i had a friend who helped me a little bit with uh, fundraising i mean not really but we uh, you know i kind of knocked at, at the door and the door opened so i, I took it i mean um, and and they actually still carry on sponsoring and doubling even uh, the money oh, every year great. so it's amazing oh. uh, and i'm so grateful for this but but now that I have a budget and I'm really much on my own with this, and of course having the career that I have, it's so difficult. So now it's more something like well, without COVID, five six concerts a year, which is not okay. a lot. Yeah. Um, but before we were like ten nine. Yeah. I mean, uh, because we were rehearsing at the Academy of Music, we were therefore a free venue. Uh, we also had the uh, librarian uh, who, is, who was helping us finding the scores. I could print, you know, it was so luxur luxurious to, to, to be uh, doing Art Symphony at the start. Um, I always wanted to take also Art Symphony to give the opportunity to the composers to be able to premiere some work. Mm. So this, and also to some of my friends, and now, you know, Tom Gould played with us, Hannah Roberts from Manchester Camerata, uh, Jolt from uh, Consumata from um, Philharmonia. Mm. They all played with us as a, as a soloist, and, and the atmosphere is fantastic because we're all like young freelancers. But the only thing that I miss is a fundraiser now, uh, because we have some money, uh, but we need, I need to invest some money in the fundraiser and just to to bring it. I'm so inspired by Nick Collins' orchestra, uh, Aurora. Aurora, yeah. yeah. I, I played and it's so, it's a good, I want to play a promise with my orchestra, like, <laughs> mm, mm. but um, yeah, I believe in, uh, and you know, the collaboration transformed a little bit more in a collaboration within the arts. So we have done concerts uh, around paintings, for instance, uh, with dancers, for instance. Mm. So Archimphonia has grown from student to freelancers uh, and almost all of the players are from 2010. Um, and if, you know, a lot of them have also uh, had job, like uh, some of them in the Aurelpio. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a, still a nice something, but it's missing the structure. Yes. Well, that's brilliant. Um, and I especially love the cross arts ideas. Uh, you may be chuckle inside, you talking about putting dancers to Bruckner's Seventh Symphony. I know this anecdote. <laughs> a friend of mine told me this anecdote that he was at a reception once with Simon Rattle. And this friend of mine was a, a player in the orchestra and, and on the board of the directors, uh, which is why he was at this reception. And the night was going on a bit and they started playing games and they decided to try and work out what the most unlikely musical form any composer would would come up with and the winning answer was a ballet by by Bruckner <laughs> so, oh, really? yeah, I think it was Simon Rattle's idea that, that the the most unlikely thing ever written would be a ballet by Bruckner but it turns out <laughs> that you're going you're going to do one so we'll, we'll find out whether it works <laughs> let's see yeah exactly <laughs> Chloe it's been a while since anybody uh, has talked to me about youth orchestras or I've talked to them about youth orchestras I know that you've conducted National Children's Orchestra, Halle Youth, Hertfordshire School Symphony Orchestra. Some conductors don't think we should work too often with youth orchestras because they think it changes our technique or it changes our rehearsal technique. Whereas others, like Jack Van Steen, like myself, like others in the podcast have said, they love it because the youth orchestra gives them a renewed sense of energy. You can feed off the energy of the youth players. 
also the fact that you have to learn the score almost twice more than you would, you know, when you're working with a professional orchestra. What do you get out of working with youth orchestras? And do you think it will be something that you can always see yourself doing? I do personally. I think I will always have a, a foot in a youth orchestra here or a, or a foot in an amateur orchestra there. But what do you think? Yeah, it's funny. I had the same uh, discussion a few days ago with uh, Leila, my manager, um, because I said to her, even if I take the, the path of conducting a professional orchestras, I, for me, it's so important that I keep at least a week or something with mm. uh, uh, with youth and people who say, oh, I transform the technique. Well, it, it's if you do it like more than half a year, mm. yes, perhaps. But mm. actually, if you if you dedicate your time uh, and pass your knowledge to the next uh, generation, let's say, uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't transform your technique. And as you said, yeah, you have to, to know the score much more because mm. uh, you have also a lot more time to rehearse and then you can go into the detail. I think it's also a rehearsal process for us conductors, like imagine you do Mala 6 with uh, a debut or something and you you say, well, I'm going to train. Like Sir Michael does that. He, he told me he's never done Brahms 1 before. He was doing Brahms 1 for the first time when he was well, just before getting 70, which was absolutely incredible with yeah. written symphony. And um, and he said, well, I'm taking the opportunity to conduct a youth orchestra to actually learn Brahms one. And I think that that's great. For me, this is an aspect for sure, but it's also to share the music. Uh, we are not expecting like a recording, top right. class recording level, etc. but it's more about the process of getting to, to share to share the music uh, with them and the knowledge. And I love working with the under 10 of uh, National Children's Orchestra because you have a bunch of kids who really are, you have to canalize their energy. Yeah, <laughs> and, yes. yeah. and it's so much fun. And, um, and they, they are so eager to learn. And then recently I was in Chet's, Chet's School of Music yes. and we did some beautiful actually Wagner Siegfried. But for me, it's so important yeah, to, to, to work with the youth and. I will want to carry on for sure, uh, yeah. doing a lot of NCO and uh, youth orchestra for sure. It's very important important for me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything you've just said there. You know, there are pieces I've prepared the CBSO youth orchestra for and then handed it over to somebody else to conduct the concert. But then I've gone on and conducted myself professionally and I just think, oh, I know this so well. It's all down to six days of, of teaching the CBSO youth orchestra this score. But then also, you know, there's there's the passing things on, my experiences of 22 years playing in the CBSO, all of that sort of thing. Uh, I don't think I would ever want to stop doing that. I think it's important. I think, you know, yeah. music education is being cut left, right and centre in this country and possibly elsewhere in the world as it is. Why would you then want to cut it by not helping out yourself? I think it's important that we should. Yeah, so, and yeah. even so, even more so maybe for me as a French uh, a girl who, who actually has not had I was not in the French uh, youth orchestra and actually if you if you ask any French people like is there any youth orchestra there is only one mm. uh, it's not that all a culture that we have so I'm more even eager to you know to carry on it's like I would love French to France to to have much more youth orchestras and also for the kids to get motivated, because I think it's mostly the parents in France who say, you have to do this, you have to do that, whatever. Mm. Uh, but here is really a culture, uh, yes. like a bit like in Germany, there is such a, a great culture of like we want. 
And I think uh, NCO, National Children's Orchestra, would not exist if there was not this, this eager culture of, we want to do some music together. And so it's even more important for me. As we talked about earlier, you're somebody who is, uh, you've just gone on the hamster wheel of conducting, to use my little phrase about guest conducting. You know, you're, you're on the wheel and why a hamster? Because hamsters like being on the wheel, but sometimes it's difficult to get off. But by being on that wheel and by being, until COVID came and after COVID, it'll come, you know, your career will go back to being as busy as it was, which means you have new music coming at you left, right and centre either music that is brand new or that you might do with Arch or stuff that you just haven't got around to conducting yet. So when you learn a new score, do you have a process that you always use? Do you, you said you use the violin and the viola as I do to check Boeing's, but do you sit at your desk or do you go to the piano and do you write things in or do you not write things in? Are you a red, blue and black like me or are you a completely white blank page like so many others? So I'm a red and blue. Mm. Uh, and pencil and I'm trying to go much less uh, because I feel that when there is too much information it's like a double score and yeah. I, we don't want a double score for me I never open a score without reading uh, about the biography of the of the composer so yeah. for instance uh, I was doing some sensors today uh, Carnaval des animaux so I, I went directly there and sensors has such an amazing life and, and then I could just go into the the sound, uh, the sound world uh, easily, let's say. And I always zoom in and out uh, between these. So I never say, okay, I've done my homework uh, about who is what, and then I go to the music. I always come back to the to the internet and, and, and read more and uh, I'm so curious about those things. In terms of detail and et cetera, I usually do big picture first big picture and then more and more I go into the detail but I always zoom in and out always always right. uh, I think Natalie Studman as well said about um, about it to be a bit more mathematical in, in terms of structure I need I need to put in my score second theme or third theme development I need to to do this I always put also uh, an adjective so that's French or in English sometimes if I have to conduct the, the score in, in England I put it in English if uh, I have to do it in French, I, I just try in French. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, honestly, I, I, I don't know. And I have to go to Google Translate and it's very ashamed for me. Um, but uh, I put a few things. I'm really trying. And today, I because I've listened to quite a, a few episodes now of uh, Mike on the podium. Uh, <laughs> and I know that you, you were asking uh, the yes. other guest about this question. And therefore, each time I was opening a score, I was thinking, should I or not put my red and blue? <laughs> um, I think you should do whatever you like. I think that's what, totally, again, totally. what's come out of the podcast. You know, I yeah. mean, I actually find that I learn the score better by writing things in. Other people, you know, one particular podcast episode, I can remember, this conductor said, write something in. If you write something in, it shows you don't know the music. And I, I was sitting there thinking, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> you know, but, I, you know, you do what you want. I, I think that's the Yeah, point. exactly. Yeah. But I think more, more and more I'm trying to actually listen, listen, listen. I'm, 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 I'm singing a lot when I... Uh, I don't play the piano. So I'm singing a lot. And, of course, solfege is great for that. And I, yes. I sing with the name of the notes. I found that also when I, I, I'm in front, well, this is a bit of a bracket about solfege, but when I'm in front of an orchestra and I'm asking, can you play this line a little bit with more, 
point out to the note, do, re, mi, fa, sol, fa, mi, re, or something like this. The fact that I say the note is not la, 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 la. I mm. just have to, uh, and, and, and the tone goes really with, with that. But so when I'm uh, at the table, I really sing like this. Um, I don't want to listen to too much recordings before I have my own interpretation. And for sure, I, I don't listen to, to, to one recording. But if I do some Beethoven, I, I know that the first recording I might just uh, take is the Hanongkot or, mm. or, or I, I, I love the, the Pablo Yavis recording with Brennan. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's more structure, uh, details for sure. And when I go to detail, I really go to detail. I, mm. I, I know exactly what front of the note is and how it ends on each each line uh, i'm much more a vertical person reading person let's say yes but then i'm trying more and more to go into the horizontal and sometimes i'm thinking okay today i'm going to change myself i'm going to sing from the start of the piece to maybe the second theme only the flute and then i'm going to do that on just to to see actually oh actually I, f I forgot to you know to to remember when or to analyze where the second flute is going to to play this this start or because I only was in this kind of direction, vertical. Uh, so I'm really doing combination of everything, but for me as well, zooming out as well. And then something I have discussed recently with Marine and Karina Kanelakis as well is physically, do you conduct or not at home? At this point, Chloe and I had a 10 minute discussion about whether we should practice conducting at home or not, and what benefits there may or may not be. To hear that discussion, head over to patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium, where I have posted it as a companion mini episode for Patreon subscribers. Details are in the show notes below. Chloe, as a, a listener of a mic on the podium, you know what's coming next. It's 10 questions time. And yay, yay hurrah. Um, well, I, I know some conductors have gone, oh, no, no, not the 10 questions, but you've like gone it. yay. Yeah, I know. Uh, so uh, you will know that I always start with what sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate? So I love the sound of the birds and mm. the rivers, the leaves, um, or just the silence. And I hate very much, very, very much the very loud motorcycles and very light cars like Ferraris or Porsche. It's absolutely unbearable. And also I hate the adverts with a very fast voice that makes you suddenly stress a lot, you know, <laughs> on the radio. I just cannot stand that. <laughs> yeah, at the end when they go, terms and conditions. Yeah, I know the exactly. ones. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and I do know somebody actually, uh, because I was with him when he, did, when he, he got this, uh, who had a very, very expensive sports car and had a button fitted in his car to turn the silencer off on his exhaust. So people actually do modify their cars to make them even noisier than they've been oh, designed to God. be. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> well, I think we all know why they were doing that. You know, there's yeah. all sorts of psychological exactly. reasons we can, totally. we can use. Um, next, if you had 24 hours free, what would you spend it doing? So hiking, skiing, and traveling with my backpack. Um, you know, it's it's in the nature with my boyfriend also. That's great. Uh, skiing, nobody's really said that before, I don't think. I love it. Well, I'm, maybe because, I don't know, I, I'm French and I, I just, we have the best, I mean, we have the Alps and the Pyrenees. I, I just love it. And I've skied since the age of four. And, oh yeah, if I could do some, you know, ski competitions uh, on the side, I would love, I would love 
Uh, but I just love skiing. It's such a, an amazing sensation. Do, do you ski? No, I've never skied in my life. Oh. Um, I think it's You're got to the point. Out. It's got to the point <laughs> now where I think I'd be frightened about breaking something if I did ski now. Um, yeah, and true. you know, people people say to me because I play cricket and I got hit in the face by a cricket ball four oh, years gosh. ago. And it broke my jaw into three places. People oh, say to me, "Oh, why do you still play cricket?" And I said, "Because I love it." Uh, and it would be exactly the same if I said to you, you know, what, aren't you worried about breaking your arm skiing? You're going to go, no, I love it. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. It was I've, a never, I've never, yeah, I had uh, any accident. My first violin uh, teacher said, like, please don't do skiing. I was like, okay, okay, well, no, of course I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Well, mine was a freak accident and, you know, it doesn't put me off the, my favourite sport. So, you know, I sh it, yeah. it shouldn't put you off skiing. Who would be a favourite conductor of yesteryear? So I have a few so mm -hmm. the first would be i mean claudio abad for sure and actually yeah. reading the book with uh, by rono capuçon he clearly uh puts in his book and sadly i couldn't feel it but his left arm is really an extension of his brain and then he's and, and the left uh, the right arm of the bow of rono capuçon at the gmgo the Bristol matter youth was really the extension of, of abado's left arm and he, mm. he described it as a total freedom of sound and as if he, he was just like reading his mind on uh, and when I see him conduct his on of course on YouTube I, I just feel like it's it's just something amazing and he he seems very humble as well humble man I don't know mm. if if he was but he seems and also of course Kleiber although mm. I, I I've read so much that he, he was very tormented uh a talented guy of the podium and very doubting about himself but when he was on the podium gosh i mean i could just see him yeah just watching all the time yeah. uh, so maybe those two and of course Aaron Court, i just really like uh, the concept of sound that he developed and who would be a favorite current conductor well i mean we can you know one can ask about the on what criteria do i base my opinion because if i yeah. go with my favorite conductor who really can hear everything, I would probably say Pierre Boulez or, I mean, although, you know, uh, current conductor, but François-Xavier Roth and Yann Pascal Tortelier. I, I've had so many, uh, so this is for me, you know, for me, uh, the best conductor is really someone that, that actually can hear everything. And, uh, but, but although uh, I love them, I would say maybe uh, I love Pavo Yarvi. Uh, mm. He's, you know, his person, I love Zhubovsky. Gosh, it's very difficult, uh, <laughs> François-Xavier Roth. So maybe the three, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a difficult question. And uh, you've, uh, you've answered it very, very well and very nicely. And some conductors really moan about that question. I cut yeah. out their moanings, but they do moan about it. And, that, <laughs> that's, uh, and that's why the questions, are, yeah, I put it in there. There has to be a hard question along there, somewhere mm. along the line. What is the hardest work you have ever conducted? So I've, I think it's Mahler das Lied von der Erde because it's Ooh, very yes. emotionally, yeah. But you know, it was just before COVID happened and we only had one rehearsal. I have studied like mad, totally mad. And I was still underprepared to my taste. And I just felt like this, these kind of pieces, you can study it and study it and you will always find something very deep. And for me, emotionally, but also in terms of um, preparation work was so hard uh, because in the past I didn't uh, uh, conduct a lot of Mahler symphonies or any Mahler work. 
So Desley was so difficult. Um, and I'm so, you know, I've studied, 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 and then the concert was canceled. So oh. <laughs> gosh, yes, it was such a, a pain, such a pain. But hopefully now, you know, I, I know it, but I, I need to deepen my everything. I just didn't, I just scratched the, the surface of something mm. uh, so hard. When traveling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? It's my sleeping mask. Or, or also my Arnica oil, just to relax my upper body. What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? So I think it would be being more accessible um, because usually audiences still put us conductors, also Louis actually on a, on a pedestal. And, you know, Sir McAlder with his pre-concert pre talks, etc. I think at the Halle, he he cannot break something or at least he wants to engage. So something like this and also maybe the social barrier or social environment where you can enjoy an evening uh, drink with uh, with musicians of an orchestra without feeling a bit awkward because you're the conductor, but you're still human. So mm -hmm. those, those two things, I think, ch changing. I cannot really, I mean, a lot of your guests have said traveling, but I'm not yet there. I mean, of course I travel quite a lot, but not as much and I, I kind of like, you know, escaping my life uh, from home. But as, as long as then, when I come back home, I really, really cherish it. Uh, I loved your answer. Um, again, you know, I, I think there should be nothing wrong with going for a drink. You know, if you if people in the orchestras that you're going to form a bond with, then, then why not go and have a drink with them? Uh, yeah. It doesn't mean you have to get legless drunk with them, but, you know. You, yeah. <laughs> um, and I actually think... It was one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, and I think that's why it's worked, is to show that we're just humans, and which is why five of the ten questions at the end have got nothing to do with conducting. It's all about you being a human being, and I think it's mo one of the best things to come out is the people who've come on here, and now, who now number something like 64 and counting, and we're still looking. Those who said yes have all come on and have all been honest about themselves and mm. show that we're just human beings who happen to have a slightly different job than other people. Yeah. And I think it's so important. I, you know, I think there are also some people, and I'm not going to tell you who they are, who have said no to this because they like being on the pedestal and they like being put in their chauffeur-driven car. Yeah. And they like being treated like a, a god. Um, and, you know, that's fine for you, but I think the rest of the world are really interested to know um, yeah. you know that chloe needs a a, a sleep mask and uh, <laughs> and she, uh, when she goes backpacking with her boyfriend uh, uh, on her skiing trips uh, and i'll find out soon what what you'll eat at the end of the day i think that's really important. <laughs> exactly. i think it's very important yeah good number nine what profession other than your own would you like to attempt dancer a dancer I want to be, I would love to be a contemporary dancer, uh, you know, still staying with the creativity part. Uh, and I don't really like ballet, uh, although, gosh, the, the they might be just, just suffering, you know, the, those poor uh, ballet people, but um, dancers, but contemporary dance to express yourself with your yeah, with your body. And sometimes, to be honest, when I was a teenager and I would just come back from Le Châtelet with my parents, uh, uh, seeing a contemporary dance, I would just spend like hours dancing in the in the <laughs> in the living room uh, with some really weird gestures, but just expressing my my movements. I love it. I I really would love to to do some dance. If the world were to end tonight, what would be your choice of final meal and drink? 
So a very nice cooked pad thai, because I love pad thai. Uh, it can be prawns or chicken and prawns, why not? Uh, mm -hmm. And the best gin and tonic, just give me any great gin, I'm really happy. Brilliant, pad thai and gin and tonic, <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, that's a weird combination. <laughs> maybe with a beer, actually, maybe let's say cooked, but a nice very cooked pad thai with a beer, like a very nice um, uh, pale ale, pale oh, ale yes. beer. Mm, yeah that. and then yeah and then and then the best gin and tonic yeah yeah well it's <laughs> it's approaching tea time here now and you just made my stomach rumble thank you as well for the last um 90 minutes or so clary it's been really really interesting it's been a it real pleasure nice. and i hope to meet up with you and see you very soon yes so so do i and thank you so much for inviting me A Mic on the Podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat with a Grammy award-winning conductor who started out as a clarinetist, but after winning the Besançon competition in 1982, he's had a long and successful conducting career, holding positions in South Korea, Iceland, the United Kingdom, the United States, and his native Finland. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye.